Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Glad you can make it through all the snow drifts and everything. I, I was amazed. We came down uh, Mountain Vista uh, to come over to I-25 in Fort Collins. Man, the drifts are crazy out there. I almost actually didn't make it in uh, today because of the drifting on our road. So good of you to be here to brave the cold on this uh, Sunday after Christmas, Recovery Sunday, uh, as we're getting on. We have, uh, I have four granddaughters, five and under, and they were all at our house for Christmas and and I'm exhausted, so if I take a nap or doze off as I'm speaking, just yell loud and I'll wake up and I'll try and find my place. Um, as I was with my granddaughters, you know, um, I, I realized again that there, there's, there's, a, there's a gap between the, the person I want to be and the person I am most of the time, a lot of the time. You know, I, I want to be this person who is, you know, gently sings my granddaughters to sleep and wakes them up with breakfast in bed and, and does all these things, but more times than not, I'm snapping at them for basically just because I'm bigger than they are. I mean, honestly, and, and I can make them do things that I want them to do, I, you know? And, and, I, and as I was thinking about it and, and, and preparing for today, that there's, there's got to be more to this life than, than, than some of these things that I'm experiencing, right? I, I think that you know, when God created me, I don't think he had what I am right now in mind. If it was, a, you know, maybe. I doubt it, though. I, I think that there's just more for me to be than what I am now. There's more for, and I'm not just talking, I'm not talking physically, right? You know, I, of course I'd like to, 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 you know, I'd like both my ears to be the same size. That's one thing that always bugs me. I have one ear that's smaller than the other one, and it drives me crazy. If you haven't noticed it, you will now, because you're going to be staring at my ear. <laughs> But I'm not talking physically. I'm not even talking socially or relationally because I, I have great friends. I have great community. I, I, you know, I have great kids and all that stuff. I'm talking about on a deeper level. I'm, I'm talking more ontologically, more in my being. I want to be more than I am most of the time. Most of the time, I watch too much TV. Most of the time, I eat too many sweets. Most of the time, I'm grumpier than I should be. You know, I don't laugh. You don't have to laugh at that. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> I'm disclosing my deepest hurts and people are laughing at me. <laughs> but, the, but really, when I think about it, in this time of year, we do, we do assessments. So we kind of think about, you know, where we're at, where the last year's gone, where I've become, you know, who I'm becoming. And we, we do it physically, right? We, we take an assessment physically. And, I, you know, I bought that gym membership and I was there twice in January last year. So I needed work on that. I, you know, education goals or <clears throat> work goals or business goals, all those things we kind of assess at this time of the year. And I would submit to you that maybe over the next week or two, we, we assess our spiritual goals. Because our spiritual life is, what I've found is most times than not, we just allow it to happen to us, or we hope that it happens to us. We, we, we fall asleep with a, with a good podcast on, or we, or we sleep with a Bible under our pillow, or we you know, come to church on Sunday and, and give our tithe, and we hope to become this person who is what we read about in the Bible. But more times than not, that's not what happens in my life. I long for more. I long to be one of these people I read about who is, you know, like the Henry Nowens and, and, and uh, um, all these people who, who just, you know, Mother Teresa, whatever your kind of hero is and being a person, Mr. Rogers, whatever you want to aspire to being, 
You know, I want to be that. I want the gap between my life that I currently have and the life that I want and long for to be smaller as we go on. I want to be who my dog thinks I am every time I come home. Right? Because you come home and your dog, not, not cats, cats don't really care whether you come home or not, actually, as long as there's food available. They don't. But, but dogs do, right? They think you're the best thing in the world, and no matter how you know, neglectful you may be to them, you're still the best thing in the world when you come home. That's the guy I want to be every day, is who my dog thinks I am. I read a book several decades ago by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted, and um, I'm going to read an excerpt from it, and maybe some of this will resonate with you. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, that's, that's okay, too. The worship is great. The coffee's hot. And you can just kind of zone out for the next 20 minutes or so. That that's, happens all the time as pastors. It, it won't bother me too much because I'll just keep talking anyway. But um, maybe some of this stuff does resonate with you because I think uh, we, we tend to uh, kind of uh, want and desire more for our lives, but sometimes we just resign ourselves. To, to who we are. We, we, we allow those things to go. So go ahead and listen to what Ortberg, how he describes his life. I'm disappointed with myself. I'm disappointed not so much with particular things I've done as with aspects of who I have become. I have a nagging sense that all is not as it should be. Some of this disappointment is trivial. I wouldn't have minded getting more muscular physique. I can't do basic home repairs. So far, I haven't shown much financial wizardry. Some of these disappointments are neurotic. Sometimes I'm too concerned about what others think of me, even people I don't know. Some of this disappointment I know is worse than trivial. It's simply the sour fruit of self-absorption. I attend a high school reunion and can't choke back the desire to stand out by looking more attractive or having achieved more impressive accomplishments than my classmates. I speak to someone with whom I want to be charming, and my words come out awkward and pedestrian. I'm disappointed with my ordinariness. I want to be, in the words of Garrison Keillor, named Sun God, King of America, Idol of Millions, Bringer of Fire, the Great Haji, Thundar, the Boy Giant. I am disappointed with myself. I have a nagging sense that all is not as it should be. Mainly, I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. I always had the idea that as a child, that adults were pretty much the people they wanted to be. Yet the truth is, I am embarrassingly sinful. I'm incapable of dismaying amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. I'm disappointed at my capacity to be small and petty. I cannot pray for very long without my mind drifting into a fantasy of angry revenge over some past slight I thought I had long since forgiven or some grandiose fantasy of achievement. I can convince people I'm busy and productive yet waste large amounts of time watching television. These are, some of my, uh, these are just some of the disappointments. I have other ones, darker ones, that I'm not ready to commit to paper. The truth is, even to write these words is a little misleading because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fallenness than I really am. Sometimes, although I'm aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even bother me very much, and I'm disappointed at my lack of disappointment. Where does this come from? A common answer in our day would be the lack of self-esteem, a failure to accept oneself. That may be part of the answer, but it's not the whole of it, not by a long shot. The older and wiser answer is that the feeling of disappointment is not the problem, but a reflection of a deeper problem, my failure to be the person God had in mind when he created me. See, we're all on a journey of becoming, but I think along the way, sometimes we just settle for being 
and not continuing to become, not continuing to evolve, if you will, not continuing to lean into becoming that person whom God had in his mind's eye when he created us. I don't think this is it for me. I'm just saying. And again, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about when I look at my life and my, my relationship with God, when I, when I look at who I am becoming, because when I look in Scripture, I see things like kindness and gentleness and self-control as the things that, 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 would, that would mark someone who has a deep relationship with God. And, and I don't see those all the time in myself. So there's this gap, this gap. I feel in many ways I'm missing the life I was appointed by God to live. I've removed God from the central role he longs to play in my life. I've refused to let God be God and my appointed myself in his place. And sometimes I look at this gap and I look at who I am and I throw my hands up and I quote Popeye. Does anyone remember Popeye? Popeye had a catchphrase. I don't know if you know the catchphrase. It's I am what's I am and that's all that's I am. And I throw my hands up and say, that's who I am. I'm just a passionate person. My wife would say, no, you're an angry person. I'm just wired that way. As being melancholy or being glass half empty or glass whatever. I'm just wired. That's how I am. I don't know how to close that gap. I don't know how to become that so I throw up my hands. I have a friend that I knew, and he, he would self-medicate. He would, he would just self-medicate and self-medicate, and I couldn't understand why. And he just said he just wanted to remain comfortably numb, just kind of numb out because he didn't live up to his own expectations. He didn't live up to the expectations anyone else had for him, so he just kind of zoned out. And it's prevalent in this world today. I know you probably know someone who's just remaining comfortably numb, right? But I think that our our, our drawing and our longing deep inside of us is to become that person that God created us to be ultimately. It's a process that we go through. What you are, you are what you are. And this is what I've discovered. You are what you are, but that's not all that you are. You are what you are, but you are not yet what you will be. We understand this as kids. We understand this as teenagers. We understand that, you know, this is a process of growth. But I think especially in our spiritual life and what I found out in my life of, of becoming a better human being, I just kind of stagnate and I just resign myself. This is, this is kind of who I am. You know, I'm almost 60 years old and if I had, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and I'll just kind of slide in and continue. And if you don't like it, well, tough for you kind of thing, Right? We used to have a saying at the vineyard, come as you are, you'll be loved. That was our saying, come as you are, you'll be loved. But on the side, we would say, for heaven's sakes, don't stay that way. You know, come as you are, we'll accept you as you are, but I don't think that's all there is to this journey of becoming, this journey of a relationship with God. Yes, come as you are in your brokenness, in your pain, in all your baggage, but don't stay that way because God has something more. God has a life for you beyond anything you could possibly imagine. John 10, 10. <coughs> Excuse me. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The message paraphrase, I came so that you may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Is your life right now more and better than you ever dreamed of? Maybe so. Again, if it is, the coffee's hot, the worship's kicking, sit back and enjoy. 
But if there's a little bit inside of you that says there's got to be more, I can become more. I can be a better person. I can leave this world better than when I entered it. I can grab hold of that which God has, has taken hold of me for. The gap between the kind of man that I, that I am and the, the kind of man that I want to be led me on a journey. And, I, and that book by John Ortberg kind of started that journey, this journey of becoming, this journey of transforming, this journey of, of, of being a disciple, a follower, an apprentice to Jesus. That's, that's what we are called to. If you have begun a relationship with Jesus, if you've, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've been born again, all those phrases that we have in church world for that, if you're pursuing the God of the universe, then you are apprenticing yourself to him and you're learning from him and you're following him and that requires us to then be transformed and be changed. Because if you've lived in this world for any amount of time, you've been hurt and you've been broken and you've been bruised and you've been battered and you've, led, you, you've, you've followed different paths that have caused you to, to do different things and, and you've, you've not, you're not on the path necessarily to become the person that God has in mind. I invite you on this journey as well, especially in this next week or two, as we kind of assess our lives, we assess our physical lives, we assess our, our business life and our professional lives, I would, I would encourage you to assess your spiritual life as well and kind of look at it. Is it where you want it to be? Is it, are, are you at that place? And I'm not talking about doing this stuff, and I'm not talking about believing the right things, although those things are okay. I'm talking about becoming, becoming something that is a beautiful work of art. And living into the reality of the life that I see described in Scripture, more and better than we could ever ask or imagine. That's what I want. That's what Jesus came to bring. Not just fire insurance that when someday when you die, you're going to go to the pearly gates and everything's going to be great. But a life now lived into the reality of that. That's what I want. I think deep down that's what we all want. Paul wrote a letter to the, to the church in Colossae. Uh, I believe possibly people who were struggling with the same thing, possibly people who uh, maybe saw this gap, sensed this gap between their reality or what they were and what they saw from their brief time of, of hearing of the teachings of Jesus. And, and their, they, they saw this gap. And I believe that Paul, in his letter to this church, describes some things that we can do, that you and I can do in our lives. He describes this life. He describes this, this, this life that we can have and possibly how we can have it. I'm going to go ahead and read this through once. I don't, it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen to the words of Paul in the message paraphrase. And notice those things that kind of resonate with you. Then I'm going to ramble on for a few minutes about what I think is important, and then you leave you to make up your own mind and see if it doesn't uh, kind of maybe resonate something in this. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 3. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the real action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. 
Verse 12, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Pray with me, would you please? Papa God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate some of these words in our hearts. Lord, I think at some level each of us desires to become more to become better, to be, the, to be a vessel to bless this world in some way. I believe that's what humans are, to reflect you. And I ask that you would just cause some of these words, some of this scripture to be illuminated in our hearts and to resonate and reverberate down into our being. Amen. Paul writes in verse 3 about this real life, this, this real stuff, right? I'm not talking about our, our, our sensual life, our life that we can feel and taste and touch, and our physical life. I mean, the life that the world puts up in front of us on a screen that we want to aspire to or should aspire to. I'm talking about the real life that Paul talks about. <clears throat> Colossians 3.2, look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, remember, even though as invisible as spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. He is your life. This real life is somehow intertwined with the life of Christ. It's somehow intertwined with something beyond the physical, something beyond the temporal, something beyond this. It's, it's, it's out there. We talked a few weeks ago when I was here about longing for the garden, right? We talked a few weeks after that about this, this kind of heaven is kind of there, but it's now, and it's, it's, it's kind of this, this, this blurred time that we live in. And Paul is telling the church in Colossia 2,000 years ago, that is a real life. That this thing that no one can really see, that's our real life. And that's hard. That's challenging. Because all the stuff of this temporal life, all the stuff of this physical life is just blasting us in the face. It's beeping in our pocket, right? It's screaming at us that this is life. And Paul is saying, it, we have to somehow transcend that if we want real life, if we want to close that gap between the person that we are and the person that we want to be, if we want to slowly and steadily improve and get better and be a better human being, we have to somehow grab hold of this real life. And he describes it. In verse 2, he says, be alert, be alert to what is going on around Christ. As some theologians would call that the kingdom of God, where what God wants done is done. There's this kingdom reality. And if you study theology at all here at the Vineyard and in several other churches, we believe that that kingdom theology is what kind of resonates with us. And that basically, if you don't know, is, is that we believe that the stuff of heaven is bleeding into earth right now. That the kingdom is here and it's happened and it started happening right here on earth when Jesus came the first time and will continue at greater and greater degrees to be invading and infiltrating what's going on on the earth. So the, the real life, this real life that we need to pay attention to, that we need to look at is kingdom oriented. The kingdom of God is among you, Jesus said. It's invisible, it's hidden, it's just below the surface. Not all as it seems. 
But yet what flashes on our screen and what makes the news is all this other stuff, right? The kingdom of God is, 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 is beauty and it's creativity and it's restoration and it's kindness, right? Mr. Rogers used to say when, whenever there was a tragedy, he would say, when, whenever you see a tragedy happen, something really bad happen, look for the helpers. Look for those people who are helping. That's the kingdom of God, right? No matter what is going on on the earth, there's a kingdom of God is breaking into it. And it's happening all around us. First of all, this real life, this life that we want, this life that we've always wanted is kingdom-oriented. It's just below the surface, and it's a little bit invisible, but the possibility of miraculous is happening right there. Secondly, the kingdom of the, 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 this real life is Jesus-centered. It's Jesus-centered. He is your life. He is your life, it's, Paul writes. He is the real life. Jesus even said himself in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. It's Jesus-centered. If we want to know what God looks like, read the red letters in the Bible. New Testament, Jesus is what God looks like, right? Theologian once said that, that uh, Jesus came to earth, didn't come to earth to change God's mind about man. He came to change man's mind about God and reveal who God really is to a group of people who thought that he was this God that was up there ready to squash them and hit them with thunderbolts and they had to sacrifice animals and do all these things. And Jesus came on the scene. No, no, this is what God is like. I am God. And I'm kind and I'm gentle and I'm compassionate and I'm loving and I'm forgiving and I'm all these things. It's Jesus-centered. If we want to know what real life is like and how we can be and how God has created us to be with the spark of God inside of us, created us in his image, right? It's like Jesus. He is our real life. It's Jesus-centered. It's kingdom-oriented. And more times than not, it's countercultural. It's countercultural. In 300 or so AD, the church became the church of the state when Constantine decided he was going to get saved on his deathbed and said everybody in Rome was going to be a Christian. Ended the persecution. But the problem that happened is there's a lot of the things of the Roman Empire that entered into the church at that time. And then all of a sudden, things got a little bit wonky, right? And those things that, that, that were supposedly of God got mired with those things of the empire, and it got a bit confusing, right? And all throughout history, we've been trying to get back to the basics of what it is, and I believe this church is trying to do that. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And a lot of times, it's countercultural. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Be even-tempered. Drive down I-25 sometime and see how much even-temperedness is going on down there. It's countercultural. Be even tempered. Content with second place. No, 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 no. Second place is first loser. I don't want to be first loser. Right? Be content with second place. He says earlier, be content with obscurity as Jesus was. Born in a manger in some insignificant little town, in some insignificant little place in some insignificant little time, content with obscurity, right? Died the death of a, thousands of other people died in the Roman Empire. 
Be content. That's countercultural. It's opposite of what is successful. Be even-tempered. Content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. Even-tempered. Content with second place. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite writers, Catholic uh, gentleman, was a, a Yale professor, uh, top of his game, theologian, just everybody wanted him to speak there. And he, he, he coined this phrase of downward mobility. He, as he studied more and more Jesus, he felt the way to get closer to Jesus was be closest to those people that society didn't want. So he, he went on a path of downward mobility, he called it. He was content with obscurity, and he, had, he spent the last 30 or so years of his life being a personal assistant, a caretaker to people who were completely disabled mentally and physically, couldn't even care for themselves, and he, he lived with them, and he cared for them, and that was his, his perception of what it meant to be close to Jesus. Mother Teresa, another one of our heroes, content with holding dying people in Calcutta, India, Right? And I think this generation is beginning to get it. I think this generation is beginning to understand that it's not about fame and fortune. It's not about making billions. It's not about getting a dot-com off the ground and selling it for gajillions of dollars. That's why we have a 14-year-old Scandinavian girl standing up to the governments of this world, telling them what for. Whatever you believe about climate change, she's standing up for what she thinks is good and right and pure and kingdom, restoration, right? Caring for the earth. Anyway. That's a tangent. It wasn't in my notes. Stay, it's countercultural. Moving toward those who can give nothing in return. How many of our decisions are made for what we can get out of it? How many of our relationships are made for how we can strike a deal maybe on the other side? Right? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that we can't, we don't have to do those things to survive in society. But if I really want to close this gap between the kind of person I am, if I want kindness and goodness and humility and self-control to come out of me, I have to do some things to help them. We'll get to that in a second. Kingdom-oriented, Jesus-centered, countercultural, and it requires action. It requires action. See, for the longest time, I thought this, this relationship with God, this becoming uh, someone and transforming was just, just happened. It just, it just happened. I could fall asleep with a Bible under my pillow. I could come to church on Sunday. I could do these things. And it would, I would get prayer, and the Holy Spirit would zaboom. He would change me. Well, that happens from time to time. But more times than not, it requires me to position myself to allow the Holy Spirit to work, to, to position myself where it requires humility, where it requires compassion of me. Dallas Willard used to say, fake it till you make it. Sometimes that's true. You do these things until it begins to rise up in you, and I, maybe I'm becoming more of a compassionate person. We do it in every other area of our life. If I want to play basketball, I'm not going to challenge Ryan Yoder to one-on-one -on -one game and never have practiced. He'll kick my butt. Even if I practice from now until I'm 75, he'll still kick my butt. That's beside the point. The point is we do things, right? If I want to play basketball, I do things, and I do things regularly to get better at it. You don't want me to come around here and begin playing the piano. No, I know. You're shaking your head. Of course not. I've never played a piano in my life. I'm not going to start playing just now and expect to play a, a, a concerto, right? We do this in all these other areas of our lives. 
I watch the Tour de France every year, and I watch these guys just ride for 21 days, and they ride thousands, they ride a hundred and some miles every day, day after day after day, and I get on my bicycle, and I can barely ride down the driveway. But yet I'd love to, right? It takes training. It takes something. We put ourselves, it requires action. Same with our spiritual lives. What makes us think we're going to become the people we want to become and do nothing? Dallas Willard, again, used to say that a grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Not opposed to effort. What made us ever believe that this thing called the life we've always wanted, this thing called the kingdom life was just going to happen to us? I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for it to happen to me for 30 years. And there's stuff in my life that just doesn't seem right. How do I push through that? How do I maintain that? James, uh, Jesus' brother, actually wrote this in chapter one. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I am this person. I will look in the mirror maybe once a day. Maybe. I've, I've actually gone to work and shaved and not shaved this side of my, my, my face right here. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't look in the mirror, right? I mean, I've, I've gone through entire teachings with that stupid tag that says extra large, extra large, extra large. <laughs> and the worst part was no one told me until the second time I taught. Finally, someone said, hey, you have it. You have a tag. That's what James is saying. James is saying, if we look at ourselves, if we look at who we are becoming, if we look at the, the kind of life that we're living, if we look at the word and see those types of things that we need to be doing and those types of things we need to be focusing on and do nothing about it, what good is that? It's like looking in the mirror and walking away and having half a mustache at work all day. It's embarrassing. We need to do some things, is what I'm saying to close this gap. We need to do some things. They call them spiritual disciplines. There's all kinds of things. You can talk to Jack and Wendy. They'll give you all kinds of things. And it's not just about doing these things, because we do things all the time. It's not another Bible study, right? But we have to position ourselves so that we can become more human, as Jean Vernet would say, becoming more human. And I would submit to you uh, just two things you can focus on if you'd like or not. That's okay. Uh, two things that you can do, simple things that you can do over the next few weeks, next few months. And the first thing, and I get this out of Colossians, is it has to do with noticing. Just noticing. Listen to, uh, one to uh, verse 1 to 3 of Colossians 3. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. Notice the kingdom of God happening all around you. Don't allow the screen that's in front of you to fill you with all the crap of the world that's happening all the time because that just sells ads. That's not the kingdom of God. Because all around that is happening goodness and restoration and kindness and gentleness and beauty and creativity and restoration. All those things are happening, but you have to look for it, unfortunately. It doesn't sell newspapers. I'm dating myself there. It doesn't sell whatever, 
space on the screen, I suppose it is now, right? Are we taking time to notice the God moments all around us? Are we, are we disciplining ourselves that we're not just going to look at the junk and we're not just going to look at this, but we're going to find the helpers, as Mr. Rogers would say. We're going to find those bits of heaven that are bleeding in and rushing into this world because we believe theologically that's what's happening, but yet the world is deceiving us to thinking it's all going to hell in a handbasket, that it's all evil and it's all bad, and you might as well just get up and resign yourself to making it to heaven. Notice, notice. Elizabeth Barrett Browning says this, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pick blackberries. Are you picking blackberries? Are you noticing the burning bushes all around you? And it's happening in this room and it's happening in the parking lot and it's happening at the burger joint and at school and all around us all the time, but we just don't notice it. We shuffle along and we get preoccupied with the stupid snowdrift that I have to dig out of the darn ditch again to get out or whatever it is. The bills I have to pay and the, but there's God and his kingdom are breaking in all the time. And it has to do not only with noticing, but it has to do with focus. Once we notice, we focus on these things. We turn our will to it, as Dallas Ward would say. We have to turn our will. We have to focus. I'm choosing not to focus on this, and I'm choosing to focus on that. And I try and do this. I'm, like I've said before, I'm a glass half-empty guy. I, I notice what's, not, what's missing all the time. It's always what I focus on. And I try and focus like my wife. She's a glass half-full. The world can be falling down around her, and it's still good. She finds the good in it, and I want to be more like that. I have to change my focus. I have to set my will to do that. It doesn't come naturally to me. I have to focus on gratitude. I have to, that's why I love the church calendar. We follow it at our, at, our, at our fellowship, the church calendar, because it continues to cause me to focus on the life of Jesus, to focus on God. Brings me back to that and goes, oh, yeah, this is Advent. We, we focus on the coming. Okay, we're coming up on Easter. Can we focus on that? It, it just helps me. It's a matter of focus. He, Paul writes again to the Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, focus on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, focus on these things. And it's all around us. These are the things of the kingdom. They're not necessarily within these four walls all the time. More times than not. I mean, it's happening in here, but it's happening everywhere. And we need to notice it, and we need to focus on it. As the band comes up, let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up. <clears throat> Maybe there's some inconsistencies in my life. Maybe there's a gap between the person that I see myself as now and the person I want to be. There's a, there's a gap between the relationship that I have with the living God now and, and the one that I want. There, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an incongruency with this abundant, this is the abundant life. I'm not experiencing real life. I'm just going through the motions, living it out. And trust me, it, 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 it happens. And it's a fight not to. All I see is the dark. All I see is the dark. 
Papa God, I ask that we would have a better understanding and a better sensitivity to your kingdom all around us. I ask that my friends and myself would be able to focus on those things of you, those things that are true, those things that are good, those things that are, are, are pure, those things that are admirable, those things that are excellent, those things that are beautiful, that we would focus on those things, that we would focus on your love, where ultimately all of this comes from. That as we do, that we would be changed and we'd be transformed at our deepest level. And that gap between the person that we want to be and the person that we are would get a little smaller with each day. As this uh, kind of rolls around in your heart and in your mind, there are several ways that you can respond to this if you'd like. You can just worship and, and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work this and just express your love and, and, and uh, gratitude to God. You can take the Lord's Supper, the back or the front, remembering and, and, and remembering that God is with us and came to be with us to reveal his love to us. You can get prayer in the back. If there's things you want to process, things you need prayer for, you can get in the back. You can give in the back. Whatever way you want to express it, or you can just be uh, and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to, to bless you. Thanks. Thanks.